This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 559 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. In the other history, a mascot becomes a hero, then becomes a civilian. The future of the future, Imperious Lex, Selina takes out the Joker, Adam Strange has PTSD, Rorschach versus Squids, and Colonel Weird finds his old buddy. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, January 31st, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, and you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and maybe write us a review somewhere. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. The Other History of the DC Universe Book 2 from DC Black Label by Ridley, Camoncoli, Cucci, and Villarubia. DC continues to celebrate the admittedly limited diversity of their history, this time covering the rather obscure characters Mal and Karen Beecher Duncan, a.k.a. the new Guardian and Bumblebee of the Teen Titans. It's told from the point of view of their conversation, sometimes contradicting each other's memories of events. Mal meets the Titans while they are undercover in his neighborhood of Hell's Corner in Metropolis, where he beats up the leader of a white power gang, both on the streets and in the ring. They ask him to join their team, although they themselves aren't in a good position at the time. They allowed an activist to be shot and killed while trying to prevent a riot. We then hear about Mal and Karen meeting for the first time, and she recalls how messed up the Titans really were. They all had issues and a whole lot of high school drama amped up on super hormones. Mal becomes more of a mascot than a team member in an analog to the JLA snapper car. We hear about some of his misadventures. Keep in mind that the early Teen Titans was written by Bob Haney, who couldn't care less about continuity or even logic. For example, he added Wonder Girl to the team, assuming she was a separate character, when she was originally just a younger version of Wonder Woman a la Superboy. Then the team broke up. They did that a lot, leaving Mal to maintain their headquarters of the time. Like the first issue, John Ridley weaves in real-world events, in this case, White Flight and Arthur Ashe beating Jimmy Connors at Wimbledon. Mal discovers a Titans case file about Jericho, one of the first black heroes, who is killed by the establishment. When you fight the power, it's not a question if you can win, but how much you'll lose in the trying. The team gets back together, they also did that a lot, and in a battle with Dr. Light, he is basically ignored by the villain. So Mal grabs some stuff out of the trophy room and becomes the new guardian, defeating Light and saving the team. Despite this, the team continues to belittle him to the point where he either A, has a nervous breakdown, according to Karen, or B, fights the angel of death, according to Mal. In either case, Mal ends up with a magical ram horn that makes him the equal of anyone he fights and is now Hornblower. 
Meanwhile, Karen, angry at how the Titans treat Mal, creates an anti-gravity costume, becomes Bumblebee, and beats up the team. What was their response? Ask her to join the team, making her DC's first black female superhero. She also made Mal a costume he hated, and so he decided that his old identity was compromised and went back to being Guardian. The team opens up a new headquarters with a disco as a front, making Mal the manager. Mal and Karen get married, the team breaks up again, and he becomes a civilian for a while but goes back to being the Guardian again. We return to the real world, talking about the serial killing of black boys in Atlanta in the late 70s. In a parallel to the last issue, Mal assumes the heroes would get involved, but they do not. Cut to Supergirl's introduction to the world, and Karen wondering why Cal didn't have Kara work and train with other heroes near her age, thinking he did what he did to retain his brand. It does beg the question as to why Supergirl was mostly ignored by the Titans over the years, despite the age similarities. In reality, it was DC's call. They only allowed minor players to be in the Titans, and the super team was off limits. The Titans reformed again. We're now in the Wolfman Perez era, and Mal is hurt that they never contacted him about it, noting that with Cyborg, they had their diversity quota. Mal and Karen attend the wedding of Donna Troy and civilian Terry Long, and they note that no one bothered to attend their own wedding. Karen makes Mal a new costume and gadget, but he turns it down, which proves to be the right move. The crisis of infinite Earths begins. When she sees the death of Supergirl, Karen realizes why Superman did what he did. He wanted to protect her. Mal gets pulled into a later battle set up in an old Titan story and realizes that he sucked at being a hero. Karen gets pulled in for a secret mission, and they argue about her motivations. In the end, they have a child and walk away from the heroic life. The next book will star Katana. Legion of Superheroes number 12 by Benda, Sook, Von Grabager, and Belair, and Future State Legion of Superheroes number 1 by Bendis, Rosmo, and Placencia. In the first book, we spent a lot of time in the Battle of New Krypton with Rogel Zar. Turns out bringing back Zar was Mordru's work as his final revenge against the team for interfering with his plans. He also brought the Horaz with him. We get splash pages showing dozens of heroes fighting the battle, and it seems they have learned to work as a team. Monel and John Kent even team up to kick the crap out of Zar. Saturn Girl, the White Witch, and Dream Girl combine their powers to bring back Dr. Fate, who casts Mordru away. Zod gets out the Phantom Zone projector and banishes the rest of the bad guys there. The LSH then cleans up the damage and have a party. Oh, and Gold Lantern's ring did not come from the Guardians. For the most part, this seems like a final issue, and in a way, it might be. There have been no solicitations for the Legion of Superheroes post-Future State so far. However... The second book takes us farther into the future, where the United Planets have collapsed and the Legion of Superheroes fell apart. Now a small group is trying to get the band back together. Saturn Girl? Woman? Lightning Lad? Man? Colossal Boy? Man? Brainiac 7? Meanwhile, Cosmic Boy is interrogating Chameleon Boy on the location of the traitor Element Lad. We learn an elemental rupture is the cause of the UP's destruction. It also created new beings trying to gain support for their becoming the new defenders of the galactic. Triplicate Girl, now minus one of her own, and Block break up their rally. Bouncing Boy has become a living missile, stopping Haraz's ships from reaching Earth against science police office orders. Brainy contacts him about joining the new Legion, but he refuses. 
cut to a double splash panel of the new Legion. Since Bendis is writing this, there's a theory that this will be the storyline of a new Legion of Superheroes book to come soon with the current book dropped. If so, I hope they get a new artist. It's very messy and hard to understand what's going on or even who is involved. Future State, Superman vs. Imperious Lex Number 1 by Russell Pugh and Fajardo Jr. Mark Russell, currently writing the wonderful Second Coming series for Ahoy, a book that the late Vertigo comics dropped, is back for more political and social satire in the form of a future state title. The United Planets have built their new headquarters in Metropolis, and we begin with a UP session underway. Societies are working together, moving toward stellar energy, a.k.a. solar power. There's a fly in the ointment, though, and it's brought up by the Earth's UP rep, Lois Lane, now with gray hair. Lexor is asking for UP membership. This is a planet controlled by Lex Luthor and based on Silver and Bronze Age stories. Lex wanted a place where he would A, be in charge, and B, be a hero. So he takes over a planet conveniently orbiting a red sun. The UP members seem united in their hatred of Luthor and are ready to immediately deny the request when Superman arrives, also with gray hair, and pleads Lex's case. He's been fighting armored robots throughout the outer rim of the galaxy called Reculitants. Reticulants. Reticulants. The robots are ravaging worlds and are being made on Lexor. In fact, their whole economy is based on keeping people employed, making robots, and the riches the robots collect. Lex keeps the populace happy and trusting via a media propaganda network called Lex News. Any similarities to actual news networks is purely intentional. As Superman takes out the robots, Lexor's economy falters, making Lex change his plans. Superman goes to Lexor and destroys a robot factory, being declared a terrorist in the bargain. The benefactor, a.k.a. Lex, attacks him in a battlesuit, making it an even fight as Superman loses his powers. He tries to make the people understand what is going on, but they throw rocks at him. Superman manages to escape and comes to see the United Planets. He knows that Lex caused all this, but the people of Lexor will suffer if the UP doesn't step in to help. The UP Council resumes, and Lois opposes the rejection of Lexor's membership, convincing the others to follow Superman's lead. Lexor is given provisional membership as long as Earth is willing to sponsor them. A transition team will be sent to Lexor, led by Lois Lane. Apart from the timeline being a bit hinky, if Superman has gray hair, Lois should be long dead. It's an interesting storyline. Unless, of course, Superman chooses to make his hair gray so that Lois doesn't feel bad. That's a possibility. Batman Catwoman number 2 from DC Black Label by King, Man, and Maury. The dual storyline continues, Bat and Cat fighting against Phantasm in current day, Cat meeting with an aged Joker in the future. The gist of the current story is that Selina has done some bad things and doesn't want Bruce to find out. She sees Joker and tells him to clean things up, breaks into a safe with Bruce, and later denies meeting with Joker when Bruce asks her about it. During all this, Phantasm continues to kill bad guys. In fact, Joker comes to them asking for help as he's on her list. In the future, Selina has already told Joker she's going to kill him. She's no longer saddled with the no-killing rule after Bruce died. Joker goes into the freezer to get some ice, where he conveniently stored a gun. Of course, Selina sees this coming a mile away, and after reminding him what he did to Andrea, a.k.a. Phantasm, she slits his neck. Other than the Joker death, can he really die? 
Not a lot of actual forward motion here. Regardless of that, the artwork is superb. Strange Adventures number 8 of 12 by DC Black Label by King, Gerads, and Shaner. We kick things off with the League defending Earth against the Pict attack, who managed to make it through and vaporize Phoenix. Back on Ran, Adam is clearly having PTSD from his experiences in the war so far. He snaps at Alana and ignores their daughter. A nice touch is the drinkware at their kitchen table, an old Adam Strange cup, which was actually made. Cut to Mr. Terrific breaking into a crash-picked ship, doing his Q&A exercises while doing so. Batman finds him, and they interrogate a captive. Terrific, of course, can understand picked now. There's a parallel moment with Adam after a moment with his daughter where he's asked to interrogate a picked. His choice is to blow the pick's head off. I'm going to see my daughter for a bit. Then I'll head out and win your war. Back to Batman and Terrific, who watch the Pict go crazy after bringing up Adam Strange. He tells them that the Ranians were just following Adam's lead. They kept saying Adam Strange was a good man leading a good war. Why are the Picts attacking Earth? Oh, damn Strange! Adam and his daughter go off to see the moonset, and then we see Adam prepping for the second wave of attackers on Earth. At this point, we kind of know what is coming. The interesting part will be the particulars. Warshack, book four from DC Black Label by King, Fornis, and Stewart, which makes it a King triple play. We get some backstory on The Kid, the cowgirl involved in the assassination attempt. This comes from an ex-strongman who worked at the same carnival where she did a sharpshooter act. The strongman is very slow and spends the questioning coloring in a Pontius Pirate coloring book. He formed a brother-sister friendship with her, although he wanted more. When she learns that a roadie beat his wife, she tells him her plans to shoot the guy. So he kills the guy instead so he does, she doesn't get in trouble. After that, their relationship changes and she tells him what he is. He's Rorschach, now in a new body. Rorschach was already dead, as seen in Watchmen. She explains what really happened in the squid attack. Manhattan vaporized them, putting their souls in new bodies so the squids couldn't find them. Why else would the heroes suddenly disappear? Of course, this is just a crazy conspiracy theory. So he agrees to put on the costume and become a vigilante with the kids sending him on missions to kill hidden squids. He's finally caught via a hail of bullets, surviving and being put on meds to control him. When he's told that the kid is dead, he just laughs. She'll be back somehow and she'll find him. Somewhere out there, he just doesn't know it yet, Rorschach is waiting. A rather creepy addition to the story. Colonel Weird Cosmogog number 4 from Dark Horse by Lemire and Crook. In what appears to be the end of the story, Weird returns after making the cave painting, returning to his other versions, still feeling something is not right. The earlier Spaceman version takes him back to the Parazone, which leads us back to his wife and the anti-god battle, which winds up with Dragonfly and the bargain that kicks off the original comic. Then he's back as a child, crying to his mother that he'll always be alone when she hands him a toy. It's Talkie Walkie, which he had forgotten. Weird returns to the Parazone and finds his friend again. Both were lost, but have found each other. They return to the spaceship, and when the robot asks him for a heading, Weird tells him to take control. Colonel, I thought you would never ask. The beginning? Lemire keeps expanding this universe and concept, and we will be along for the ride. 
Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe by your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.